Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. My name is Stacy Webb, and I'm with BackInTime.biz Publishing Company. Um, I'm also a Redbone descendant, and this year um, we ended up collectively getting all of the old Redbone Chronicles together and publishing those into a first volume, which includes several articles from... Um, like James Nickens wrote an article, an absolutely fabulous article. Joanne Pazula wrote an article. Scott Sewell. Um, Sammy Tippett, one of Sammy Tippett's articles was included in from the old publishing. And we've just had a wonderful year, and we wanted to do um, a year-end 
uh, summary of everything that's been going on because we started a new DNA uh, group on Facebook, and we have enjoyed making all sorts of new cousin connections this year. Um, one personal connection um, that I was able to make, and, and luckily Marilyn, actually I just figured this story out. My first cousin, Ben Downs, and some of you guys might have friended him on Facebook uh, because he's, you know, um, like I said, he's my first first cousin. But he was adopted um, by his stepfather, and his name was changed to Downs, but he was originally a stringer. And so he was my father's um, brother's child. And we have recently connected through a picture that was put up on Ancestry. And I did not realize this story until recently that that's where Marilyn Baguette had found a picture of myself and my family at my grandparents' stringers. I believe it was their 50th wedding anniversary, uh, probably in the mid to late 70s, and we had all went up to Lufkin um, to the Holiday Inn, and there was this picture Marilyn found on Ancestry.com, and and she presented it to me, and I was like, wow, yeah, that's me, that's my family, and but I didn't recognize the name until his beautiful daughter Tara Hinkle got a hold of me, and uh, she said that she had been doing some research on the internet, and she had found where the stringers where I was a stringer and related to her her family and and got me in touch with Ben um because Ben was kind of a long lost cousin for me and I'm absolutely thrilled uh to have rekindled that relationship in in our family this year as well as Cheryl Tilly Perkins and several people who are on this it's a private group and and we kind of keep it uh, a little bit close knit circles because we want descendants. We're not worried about numbers of members. We're worried about, um, or we're not worried about it, but we just we would like participation level to be descendants from these remnant Indian groups like the Red Bones and the Dominickers and um, the Melungeons and. Um, I think recently we figured out that our bird family was associated from Gouldtown, from the Gouldtowners. And so they were in the upper northeast. And I have a map, and, and I've presented it many times, and it's published in uh, Carolina Genesis. And I think I even included it, that map of all the reputed Indian mixed blood groups of early American colonial history, and um, they, the Gouldtowners, I, I don't know a lot of details about them. We just made that connection to the Bird, B-Y-R-D, and the Mixon family, and so um, this kind of a, but, but we do know that a great majority of these mixed blood, mixed blood colonial groups that are mentioned on that map, and there's lots of them, P. Ridgers, the Brass Ankles, the Turks of Sumter, um, you know, just just a variety of these people that that we are all actually related. Okay, um, you know, I don't know if it was for survival or for condition, but 
um, as the great late uh, Gary Gabehart, Mishiho used to always say, you know, Indians hung out with Indians. And so, you know, it was not um, a great leap uh, that we were able to to make these connections without DNA. And so um, we're beginning to find out that we are pretty much a great majority of these groups are related. And today I have invited um, Paul Dutilly Jr. and uh, to speak with us as well uh, because uh, he has been working diligently on um, his family and he is a descendant of the Cheraw the Catawbas, and the Saponi Indian Nations. And he is a descendant of, now I'm going to mess up his Indian name, but his grandfather was King Hagler, and he has a, Eret, Eret I believe is his was his Indian name, and then a woman by the name of Betty Matthew Toole, a Catawba interpreter, Sally Scott, General New River, General Jacob Scott, James Scott, and, uh, you know, all of the great Catawba Nation, uh, Indian Nation. And he lives out in Arizona now, and he just purchased a home, and he is an independent um, contract driver. And so um, we've made connections with him biologically. He is having his DNA done now, and he'll join us in a little while. But we're going to talk about uh, some of our connections between those groups, the Catawas, the Saponi, and um, I'm sorry, I just mentioned it before, the Catawas, the Chair Raw, excuse me, and the Saponi Indians, and back into Sumter, uh, South Carolina. And now Pony Hill is currently writing a book, or he did have the manuscript finished, and then he withdrew that manuscript to go and and further some research, and so I encouraged him to do that. And I don't have a time frame on when he will complete that book, but as always, I'm sure it is an absolutely wonderful book that everyone will enjoy. And um, we'll, we'll have more news from back in time about his publishes, upcoming publishings. But now he did also just self-publish another book on uh, Native American culture and uh, language in this. And you can find those links on my Facebook or at the Redbone Nation Facebook. And, you know, we we do a lot of social media uh, through Back in Time on Facebook and Twitter. And so please do, if you have those kinds of accounts, find us and and friend us and like us and um, follow the work. But uh, Paul has done some fabulous work recently, and he has uh, really made some great connections, and he'll join us a little later. Um, we had some, some – we're going to talk about with Paul. We're going to talk about Jock. We're going to talk about the DNA. I want to be specifically clear um, because I've had a lot of questions concerning the Y DNA segment that I continue to repeat repetitively on these groups and to my Redbone cousins and to, you know, anybody that's associated. You know, I've been repeating myself, but I want to be specifically clear. Whenever I say 
William Goins Line, G-O-Y-N-E-S, who was a son, we believe, of, excuse me, um, I'm going to take it just a quick break for just one second. Uh, I apologize, and I'll be right back with you. Thank you. Okay, I'm back, and I'm going to pick right back up where I left off. I apologize for the interruption, uh, but it's good to take a little break. But my dog went outside, and she was not going to have anything, but I let her out. So, um, But uh, what I mean by this block of men, surname men, who matched 100% Y DNA, I am talking about, I'm not talking about a cousin connection. I'm not talking about, you know, um, some sort of um, connection through familial ties, anything like that. When I talk about why DNA matches, I mean that the following surname progenitors of most uh, Redbone families of um, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Louisiana, into Missouri, Arkansas, and then back into Louisiana and Texas, which everybody must realize that for many, many uh, centuries, uh, what is known as Arkansas today and Missouri were territories that belonged to the Louisiana uh, territorial uh, area and as well to Spain uh, through uh, the Mexico um, it went all the way through to Canada. And so it covered a lot of ground, but what we know now as Arkansas. But these men were exact Y DNA matches, meaning the all of these men came from the same forefather. Yeah, I mean, they're identical Y DNA matches. And that would be William Gowen who appears, uh, we're not really sure if he came out of Tennessee and um, came into the Illinois Territory and then down through um, into Arkansas, into Chief Bull's camp, if he could have been part of the group that went out west uh, with originally with Chief Bulls, uh, you know, an earlier group uh, who had kind of a, a tribal disagreement over um, I can get into further details, but um, they got in this of uh, of Cherokee uh, from out of Tennessee and North Georgia and Alabama, all of that basic area over there south of like Chattanooga, um, into Muscle Shoals and and that kind of even over into Georgia, um, and what is now even 
Tennessee and Kentucky. I, I you just I think it's so important that everybody study their maps because this is your clues. Um, because I hear so many times that people will come to me and they will say, well, that's not my family because they're in a different state, regardless of how many coincidental names and facts we have going on. Um, and, and this just simply, you've got to study the geography and the settlement of what is known as North America to really understand between all of the colonial periods of Spaniards, the British, the Americans, uh, the Territorials, um, Spain, Portugal, France, all of those. And so uh, we we really have to study that. But um, William Goins, now this is this is the great one. Is that is just a fantastic tie to make, but it it messes up the pot quite a bit. Was that we matched 100% Y DNA to Descendants of who was known, a man by the name of William Billy Powell, who was the great Seminole resistance leader, Osceola. And and we've come, we've been doing some so much research for the Goins book, um, but uh, he he may be well. We know for a fact one of his uncles was a Gibbs, Thomas Gibbs, out of Sumter, South Carolina, uh, actually out of Privateer. Uh, township, and so we know this is a hotbed of red bones, you know, and and Catawas and Cherwas and Saponis, and we're going to get into further detail. But um, uh, Osceola, William Goen, and now Leonard Covington Sweat, who comes from the book of uh, the Sweat Families of the South by General Urban Wise, or I believe Colonel Urban Wise. Uh, excuse me, Colonel Urban Wise now, I believe. And he has written a second book. Um, but his Y-DNA, uh, that of a Warwick family who ended up in Arkansas, which made perfect sense later on. Um, but, um, and and the Perkins, Jock Perkins line was one genetic distance, and as well the Williams matched 100%. And so all of these men basically came from one man, one source, forefather. And so we're on the we're on the hunt and we're sleuthing to find that out. Uh we went to Texas this summer and we did come up turn up two lawsuits. Uh one for Nancy Johnson Goins Goins that is um we've had several episodes about that. Uh and you can listen to those uh here archived anytime on demand. But um we went to Texas and we found 97 new heirs. And so we have spent every, you know, extra moment researching those new 97 heirs. We also found a lawsuit, or actually Gabe found a lawsuit in Nacogdoches a couple of years ago, and I really never took a look too much at it because he was actually looking for his Jeremiah Goins line, and he did not see it. And he laid it aside, and he gave me a copy. And I, I did look at it, and I was like, oh, wow, okay. This was over 130 heirs who were named as relatives of William Goins Jr. of Nacogdoches. And so our DNA matched exactly to one another who, and two men that were listed as his, his nephews because he did not have any descendants. And so um, 
we've been a little um, long on the Goins book, but as everyone well knows, the Goins family was extensive from Sumter, from uh, South Carolina, uh, earlier in Virginia. We're all, there's just thousands of us who are related and or descended. And my grandmother was a Goins and my grandfather was a Nash. And so, um, you know, the Nashes and the Goins were all related as well. But all of these men also matched King Ramesses III of Egypt's mummy. And so um, that was an exciting find, and we'll talk more about that in the Goins book. I see Paul has joined me, and so I, I want to get him on the line, and I would like to welcome him. Well, no, maybe this isn't Paul. I've got a I've got a 409, which is Miss Lovey, and then a 623 number. I'm going to open Miss Lovey's line. Now, Miss Lorraine, I was mentioning just earlier on the Goins book that Lorraine and I, um, our grandfathers matched each other 100%, and then her suspected great-grandfather, Simon, father was obviously mentioned with Hadley, her her grandfather's uncle, in William Goins Junior Nacogdoches estate records as the only the only related by blood heirs. And so uh, this is how we know that we are, you know, actually we are the fifth great grand nieces of I believe Miss Miss Lovey may be a generation closer than me, but I am a fifth. And let me see who's on hold um, first. Uh, Lovey, hang on. And let me uh, just uh, open up the mic and introduce yourself and your, your Goins family quickly and your tell us about your chapter um, in the new Goins book. Are you there? Uh, yes, you're talking to me? Yes, ma'am. Or are you talking to someone else? <laughs> I'm talking to you, but I'm going to let okay. you speak. And I'm going okay. to mute my microphone, and I'm going to interview this other call and see if it's Paul. So I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about your family and my family and uh, your new chapter in the upcoming Goins book, which is going to be really exciting. And tell us all about that, honey. Okay, I sure will. Um, I was so excited to find out that Stacy and I were so closely related by DNA and I, I immediately, when I met her, I just my heart went out to her, you know. I just felt a closeness to her. So I believe that DNA does tell, even in the heart. But uh, we have been working so hard on this Goins book, and it seems like every time we think, okay, we're just about to get it ready to go t- to Stacy, and then something else comes up, and we got to start digging again. These Goins people, they are really something else. They are exciting. They are they are everything from mean to I don't know what all they are, but I do know they are interesting. And um, the Hadley that she was talking about was my grandfather, William Simon Goins' uncle, and he raised my grandfather, and my grandfather always called him his dad, but then later on we found out that he was actually his uncle and we've been trying hard to find out documentation to prove who his father was 
So maybe if we could find his brothers, we might could find, you know, my grandfather's father. But uh, it is, it, I tell you, sometimes uh, I get to, are you, Stacey? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just also going to say that on Hadley, that he had two daughters that we know of. And this is an interesting twist on the Nancy Goins thing because Hadley was obviously a son of Nancy, but not a son of Thomas who died in Lafayette Parish, Louisiana. Okay? But he was a Goins. So all along we have always known that there Early John Goins, and and we do have some indications or records, older records that that point to the fact that Nancy was married to a John Goins, as well as a Thomas Goins. We DNA tested the two male lines; they did not match. Okay, love Lorraine and I's grandfathers matched perfectly to each other, but we did not match the known or suspected children of Thomas Goins, who died in Lafayette Parish, Louisiana. But the interesting, very interesting thing about this is is that Marvin Goins, G-O-I-N-G-S, of Pine Ridge, South Dakota, uh, Sioux Indian, the descendant of Gibson Goins, uh, he we found out through Nancy Johnson's and Hadley's heirs, his daughter left and went to Kennepeg, was it? Or it was Montana. It was Montana. It was Montana. That was Montana, and she got married, and she had um, she she remained there for the rest of her life and associated with the Sioux. And then we tested Marvin Goins' Y DNA, and he didn't match either line. And so we, but we know Gibson Goins, and we know Thomas Goins, and we know John Goins, and all of these men, early Philip, and all of these. Men, though they were not from the same forefather, they were related. Um, but we, we did distinguish three separate groups of Goins through our uh, Lovey and I's matched each other perfectly. And then William Moses, that we talk about a lot in our DNA group, William Moses, who married Charlotte Nelson. And uh, Marilyn, I believe, told me that his second wife was. Um, Louisiana Hoosier, but however, my record showed, and I, and I could be wrong because that's not my family, but I thought that they were two separate men, but they possibly were not. Uh, they were possibly the same men. I will have to defer that to Marilyn uh, because she would know that's her, her line. And so then, um, so we added in Marvin's Goins line did not match their line, Jeremiah line, or so we have three distinct, and they were your grandfather and my grandfather's Y-DNA and the Sweat and the Williams and the Warwick and the Powell. They all matched Ramesses III of Egypt's mummy. And uh, Marilyn 
And Jeremiah's line actually had a very unusual haplogroup from Ireland that is absolutely only is only found among the European gypsy men from India. Mm-hmm. And so even though they were from Ireland, they were associated with like the Laux family, which is one of the and, and the um Mitchells and the Marks and people like this who were, you know, direct line gypsy male lines. And so uh even though they were a white and then Marvin's was also an Irish haplo, but it was not the gypsy one. So see, um uh, we've got a mess on our hands with the Goins book. And so I look forward to your your chapter, and Pony has written a chapter, an absolutely wonderful chapter on the Goins out of Sumter. And uh, so I'm excited to get this together. We have two versions. We have book one and book two. Uh, so we will definitely – let me open the mic real quick and, and just ask. I've got a 623-979 area or phone number. Good afternoon. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Is this Paul? Yes, it sure is. I'm so sorry, Paul. I wasn't sure it was a different number that showed up on my dashboard, and so I wasn't sure. I had several. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. And also you, and uh, congratulations on getting a new home. Uh, and and please just, I, I've done a little bit of background, just a little bit on your, your ties. And tell us all about what you've been doing in 2016 for the Catawbas. And you and I have had some lengthy discussions and shared documents and just making all sorts of sparky connections everywhere. I'm so excited for you to be here, and thank you for joining us. Tell us all about your family. Well, thank you very much. Um, Yeah, it has been uh, a very exciting day. Um, But to talk about my family, uh, it actually goes back to the Sapoan back in Virginia. And... um, they are the Scott family, and uh, they were mostly around the area of uh, Halifax, uh, North Carolina, uh, border of Virginia, and uh, around 1727, they actually merged with the Catawba after there was... They merged after there was an incident between the uh, Tuscacora and the uh, Tupelo and Saponi. Um, they actually, um, the Saponi actually uh, killed, uh, no, I'm sorry, the uh, Tuscacora actually killed a chief son of the uh, Saponi and uh, they, uh, the Saponi asked Virginia to actually assist them, and they didn't. And so the Saponi called on the Catawba, and the Catawba okay. answered the call and attacked 
uh, Tuscacora in Virginia, and that's when the Saponi joined the Catawba. How intriguing. How intriguing. And now, um, we we had a this Williams line that I mentioned earlier that the Goins matched and the Sweat and the Perkins and the Powell and, and all of these important to the Redbone progenitors. Um, but I also have a grandfather who was John Nash, and you and I had shared on him. Now, what time frame was this disagreement um uh, you know, blood atonement or whatever sort of uh, disagreement they had. And then where about were they, had they left from somewhere else and migrated to that area? Well, there's actually a, a big separation between the, ti- uh, the tribes. Uh, the time I'm talking about is in 1727 when... The Saponi are still in North Carolina, Virginia. Uh, some of them um, had ventured into the Ohio Valley area. Um, yes. So, and also down into the Cumberland Gap. Right, into that uh, same area, um, Clinch River area. In there is that because see we also have Reverend Willis who was in the Clinch Valley area uh, with Tobias Gibson and so you know they're both Chair Raw associated men you know progenitors of the Red Bones you know I, I'm just uh, all the bells and whistles keep going off every time I talk to you or we discuss anything because. There was uh, also, you know, the legends of the um, the Chair Raw Trading Girls. And I don't know if you had looked into all of that or ha- did you know anything about that? Be- uh, Joanne Pazula wrote a, a great article on and mentioned the Chair Raw Trading Girls. I actually, um, I'm familiar, but I don't. I'm not sure if I have enough information to actually, you know, address it. I'm seeing this mtDNA uh, throughout the females. And so uh, uh, there is a great source of Algonquin sort of mix with the PD River and Cher Raw sort of mixture there and so I'm uh, you know I'm it I think you and I had talked about the fact that when we look at the male Y DNA line there there's very few uh, I mean really even even not just in our surname lines there was very few male Q haplos that actually survived to current Day. And so a lot of our mixture among the red bones came from the ma- maternal side, I guess is where I'm going with that. Um, the right. males were, you know, Egyptian, these kinds of uh, Moorish, Berber, Barbary. We talked about the Barbaries. And so, you know, where do you feel like that that kind of mixture came up, you know, about the era of 
of John Nash, maybe the 1750s, or do you believe in an earlier mixture? I don't. I'm, I'm asking. I'm well. I I've actually believe wholeheartedly that um, our families, which we've been able to connect, were actually a part of a group that came over yeah. to the New World prior to even Ferdinand Miguel de Soto's explorations in the southeast. We're talking 1535. Absolutely. Fascinating. And it has to be. It has to be with the Y DNA that we're looking at on the male lines. It, it certainly has to be. Well, uh, even after finding this information, you look down through history and you see the same names that are associated in 1535, you see these same names associated with the Woodland Indians in the Piedmont Valley, from the Catawba to the Wateree to even up into North Carolina, the Saponi, um, the PD. But the yeah, Woodland totally Indians, if you, if you look at maps from back then, you'll see that most of those tribes... Excuse me. We're all together in one general area, mm-hmm. and it's pushing out, pushing west and south. Yeah, exactly. But you'll see, you can see some of these family names associated, you know, already immersed in these tribes and and um. From right. from the different parts, you know, but there, there was a map presented to the King of England. I believe it was King George, and it was a map from the Catawba uh, chief, and it was showing right. all the different villages within what you would call the Catawba nation, and it right. consisted it consisted of all these different. Like villages, there was the Watery, there was the Santee, there was the Shirah, there was the Wahatchee. Same, same coastal Carolina, coastal Indians, but they lived under separate familial tribal communities. Is that basically, you know, they're basically the same people? Is that what yes, you're saying? basically the same people, and as colonialization moved forth, they actually went back together and, you know, to make one tribe, which would probably be known the most notable tribe left in that area is the Catawba. Right. But there is definite evidence of the Shirah the Saponi, and all their descendants are still in this area in South Carolina, the Piedmont area, Sumter, Rock Hill, in the North Carolina, Robeson. Right. Yeah, we of course, we've got ties back to Robeson, and uh, we've got ties back to the Lumbee River, you know, and right there at, like, Newcastle, or not Newcastle, but uh, Lumberton, right around in that area, we do have some families that came out of there. And it would be really interesting 
because I, I I started to say that on that Williams family that matched the Sweats and the Powells and all of these people, blah, 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 of course, their haplogroup would not lend itself to an English European surname. Okay, I mean, people just need to know that these are not our surnames we brought from Europe with us. Okay, even though a great majority of American grandfathers came with their surnames from another country, these would not, I mean, our haplogroup, our origin, our furthest, most recent forefather is Egypt, North, you know, North Africa and Egypt. And so we could not have arrived with the Williams name, the Sweat name, so forth and so on, just like Native Americans. I mean, just like Marvin Goins. I mean, Goins is not. I mean, it's his grandfather's name because they came from Ireland, but um, not ours. Uh, so, um, but the Williams that matched this group that I'm speaking of, he married a Mary Evans. And when I got on to look at, you know, Ancestry.com, of course, that's the first place I go to to look and see if, anybody has anything or any records on these people and it popped up and it said that even though she was listed as an Evans that she was the daughter of General Jacob Scott and and I think I had mentioned that to you and it's like well I just don't understand you know the story enough and I think that's what you're getting down to with your research is is you're getting down to those genealogical stories and where we pick up these families here, there, uh, through their migration and assimilation. Yeah, you absolutely, know. because up to, uh, you know, just recently, you know, within a year or two, I wasn't even able to make the connection from General New River, like, past, to King Hagler, there, you know, there was just the the genealogy of the Catawba is quite, you know, crazy. Extensive and, yeah, and it's also lacking a lot of documentation. And, you know, we a lot of our men, our forefathers were traders and interpreters. My grandfather's name was Guide, G-U-I-D-E. Okay, and so that came from somewhere, people. I mean, normal white people don't name their kids guide. Okay, I just got news for everybody. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, you know, that's the thing, too, you know, is that these men had multiple wives, uh, Native American wives, and were, you know, like we, you and I have a, a keen interest for Kawana Parker and actually, he's related to me and, and, and probably all the Redbones, but I don't know. Uh, there's some Parkers that are associated with us, but they don't claim they're from that same line. But I don't know. I, I've never really looked into it. Um, but he had four or five wives. Osceola had four or five wives. That's, there's a lot of kids that can be produced from four or five wives, you know. Absolutely. Uh, we know. You know, and we also know, right? And, I mean, the Goins were prolific. I'm telling you now they were. And then we look at Marvin Goins' family and Dr. Nickens, James Nickens' family, who ended up in Colville, um, Washington, 
with Nez Pierce, Chief Joseph's people. They came out of Wyoming at Fort Bridger, and those were all red-boned men who were forcibly removed during Creek Indian Wars. They got to Tahlequah, Oklahoma, and they kept on going. And they settled island, you know, about about 13 or 14 miles from Fort Bridger there in Wyoming, uh, Sweetwater County. And, I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere, and, and they settled there. And we know for a fact from diaries and that that those mixed-blood men had multiple wives, Nez Pierce, Shoshone, um, you know, all of this. And, and their names are repeated over there. Uh, William, Sizemore, Nash, uh, you know, I could go on and on and on. And and so Goings, you know, these are those names that get picked up and, um, you know, they have stuck and they moved tremendously throughout the United States um, beginning, you know, as soon as contact. You know, it looks like to me that that these people were being assimilated and moved east and south and then as far west as they could go. And uh, so, and we're all related, and it's just fascinating. I know we chased uh, one of those Catawba women, what appears to be uh, Catawba, um, Chair Raw, something coastal, uh, woodland, pinelands, you know, and some Algonquin in there, like you said, and um, we chased her from Creek Crossing to the Amazonian Forest. Uh, South America. What? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, MTDNA, of course, you know, is 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 a fascinating. It's, it's a little more difficult uh, research, you know. Now, all of this cousin connect that we do over here at the this little DNA group that we've started is actually. It's not like an in, there there's these cousin connects like you could be biologically connected to me a stringer okay but by way of a Nash or a Goins or a Sweat or a Willis do you understand and so whenever we talk about mgDNA and we talk about Y DNA this is a specific study you can follow these people you can follow that mother. Um, right. So it's interesting, and and the other one that was very uh, eye opening was uh, this gypsy component that we're seeing from you know like Indo Iran in India. Um, I think uh, Tony and I both had some strong hits to like Australia and Papua New Guinea. And then we see that same DNA in the Amazonian forest in the southern tip of South America, an untouched tribe who does not match an Asian origin Indian. They match an Austral Asian oriented Indian. <laughs> and so wow. it's just this DNA has really opened up. So I'm going to be really excited to see your DNA. And now how did you have that done? Which corp, which company did you do and what testing did you have done? Um, I actually, my wife had uh, ordered it for me. She actually ordered one for me that was, um, it was just going to tell me the origin of what I was closely re- related to now. 
But then, you know, I explained to her that, you know, we needed to get maternal, maternal, and, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. So um, as far as I understand, she ordered it through Ancestry.com, and I've already Great. taken the test and uh, sent it back, and I'm actually waiting for the results. Awesome. Well, it'll take several weeks because the mgDNA is um, super, um, takes a little bit longer than the Y-DNA to amplify. And so it's usually generally like at least six weeks on the female DNA. I'm thrilled. And now, how do you descend from both your mother and your father? What was your mother's maiden name? And how did the Dutilis come down from, you know, which side are you coming from or both okay um my mom's maiden name is actually buckner um now the name buckner is associated with the cherokee Um, these buckners resided in sumter south carolina um they first showed up on the census in 1830 the same time as um indian affairs act and all that is being implemented. Um, so the Buckners are Native American, Cherokee, um, originally from Kentucky. Right. Okay. Well, my granddaughter is a Buckner here from Kentucky. Right. And 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 I know that I have seen the Buckners on. I don't. I know her family, but they were a slave family, and as long as and they were named for Colonel Buckner here, who owned them, and so I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that that would be connected to your lines, but um, I have seen the Buckner name over there in Sumter, and, yes. and around our people quite a bit. Yeah, and I actually found some on the uh, Cherokee roll list. Actually, quite oh, a few. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, and that's funny because um, my Nash grandfather and uh, his wife was a sweat, and they um, they applied to the Cherokee Nation, and then in 1896. But however, they refused to self-migrate from Texas, and because we had our families from. From Oklahoma, from Indian Territory, from Oklahoma, were walking literally to East Texas because they were starving. And uh, you know, after second thought, my family was like, "No, we're not going." And so they forfeit all head rights. However, part of the family did go, and so we, you know, we stayed connected through that. But um, the name of my chapter in the Goins book is the ones that got away. Because when I was a girl, um, you know, this was something I always heard, you know, uh, you're the ones that got away. And so um, it's it's quite interesting that your family ended up associated with the Cherokee. Now, how did that happen, Paul? Well, actually, the community was started off by my grandfather in Sumter, um, James Scott who okay. is a descendant of King Hagler. He served in the Revolutionary War on the North Carolina Continental Line with General Thomas Sumter. 
Right. We have some grandfathers. Actually, we have several grandfathers who serve for him, but we I find it also interesting that we had a, a lot of Italian. But of course, Willis served with um, um, oh, the Swamp Fox, Francis Marion, and so did the Mixons and the Birds. Yeah, uh, but then I actually did, have documentation of the Birds fighting with Francis Marion and some of the yeah. Chavis. Oh, awesome. I would love to see that, Paul, because that's my grandfather, too. Um, see, we're making connections today, too, so this is awesome that we got to talk. But um, also, we're seeing a lot of Italian hits to our DNA in East Texas and uh, Louisiana and East Texas. But uh, Cosmo de' Medici... Uh, several of our grandfathers served under him, and you know he brought he brought people to. Um, even though he went back to France uh, because he, his sister was married to the king of France, um, but he he may have left some people there at Sumter with these mixed bloods uh, because their DNA is showing up in ours. You know, okay. coming out of that Cosmo de Medici kind of people. Um, so I think that that all of our a lot of our grandfathers served in the Revolutionary War, and I believe that um, some of them could have been to even for their own freedom, basically. I, I do believe you that know. because you also have to um, understand before that there before there was African slavery in. In the the colonial United States, the 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 Indians were the commodity. Mm-hmm. They were the product. You know, these were the Tuscarora, the ones that were defeated in 1713. Most of those natives were made into slaves, and and, yeah. and others ponies. You know that that were a part of that first initial contact. With the colonies, you know, it was a way to 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 make room for a new white settlement, and Absolutely. and and you know, and that that's what just you know, as as the years went by, you know, tribes would fall and doors would open, and eventually, these tribes all mixed together ended up in Sumter. Yeah. A great variety of people. Um, amazing. It's mind-boggling, Paul. It you is. Know, uh, it really is. And now tell me about King Hagler because you you mentioned him a lot. And was he? Who was he? And uh, have you found out like his? DNA, you do you know what the Hagler line DNA or anything like that is? Well, I think um, it, with with his situation, um, he is known as Arestua or Nopache. That that was his given Indian names, you know, his native names. Um, King Hagler was a, a simulated name. It wasn't um, his actual name. He identified as King because once there was contact with a colonist, the 
majority of the tribes adopted that name for the title of their chiefs. Right, yes. And, and the name you... Hagler, um, through all my research, there there is no indication other than the fact that it was a name of a simulation, something to make him more, you know, identifiable with the colonists. Right. Right. I wonder if um, there's any descendants of that line, you know, um, well, see, that's the thing is when when you look at the Catawba genealogy, there is there's no separation from the native line other than Matthew Toole. Now, King Hagler only had he had one daughter, and her name was Betty. There is no indication of her having the name Betty Hagler or anything other than Betty. I see. Very interesting. And and what time period was that? What are their um, birth era? Well, the birth era of King Hagler is around 1700. Fantastic. 1600, 1695, 1700, around that general area. Right. And, and what's the geography, what's the geographical location of his suspected birth, or do you know? Well, it would be on uh, Catawba land, which at that time was, uh, it consisted of parts of South Carolina, mostly the central and um, eastern parts of South Carolina, all the way up into North Carolina, stretching into parts of Virginia. Mm-hmm. It was a big area, right? Yeah, it was a big, big area. And so, see, that includes that Piedmont, that PD, and all of that that you were speaking of earlier. Yeah. And so that's because, you know, our um, my grandfather Cheryl uh, took Jock, and we're suspecting that because. Twins do run in the Goins family, um, and they come from the Perkins came from the same man. So biologically, you know, they probably run in their family. But there was two quote black slave boys, or not slave boys, but two black twins who helped Adam Cheryl, who was the first man to forge the Catawba River. Uh, and they were his nephews that helped him build his home. But they did say they were black. They called them black. Um, you know, whether they were black or not, you know, uh, they were darker than most, I guess. And, right. um, so, um, because we've had lengthy conversations here about uh, the fact that, you know, Native Americans were, uh, in 1705, there was a law enacted I believe it was 1705. I've I've got some information on it. We published years ago, but um, that all offspring of a Indian was considered a mulatto, and yeah. so um, because they did take them as slaves and they mixed them. Uh, in fact, they had to enact some laws later on in North Carolina and South Carolina, uh, Virginia. 
on not allowing the slave owners to do this, but uh, sadly, they did take like uh, an African person and a Indian person, and they mixed them, and and even the Irish and in white indentured slaves, which was quite large. Uh, I mean. Uh, African uh, importation of black slaves from Africa was outlawed in the 1690s, okay? So you couldn't bring any more black slaves into the United States. And a lot of people don't understand that, but that is true. And and we can go further on why the Jean Lafitte, uh, we used the neutral zone to get these slaves from the Gulf of Mexico into the back door, which Don Marlowe wrote a lot about, we were fudging up paperwork on these African slaves that we were stealing from the Spaniards and moving them, you know, through like our white grandfathers or basically white mixed blood grandfathers who were educated in that. And they would, we, uh, Jim Bowie was in on this deal, you know, where we, I own, I bought this slave from you, you, and we bought them by the pound from the Lafitte and, right. and we brought them in fudging up their paperwork and and a lot of people do not also understand that um the largest slave revolt and ever happened in the united states happened in indian territory yeah well, you know um it was common for all the tribes especially um the choctaw and the muskogee creeks and all of us uh had slaves and and see, we look at those goings that come out of Sumter, and when we get to Lafayette Parish, Louisiana, uh, Thomas Goins passes away, and he gives his slaves by name to all of his heirs, and we're mixed blood. Right. So uh, it, it's um, we have so much of this in our family as well. So, um, but that's good to know. And you, you say he was born about 1690 to 1700, something like that. Yeah, something uh, like that. that. And Fabulous. then um, his daughter, his daughter Betty, married mm-hmm. Matthew Toole, who was a Catawba interpreter who was hired through the the Providence of South Carolina to interpret for the for the Catawba. Well, he pretty much immersed himself into the tribe, and he actually had married Betty. I don't know if he married her, but, I mean, he had a child with her who was Sally Scott. And the way her name ended up Scott is because she married, and she Sally Scott is the granddaughter of King Hagler. Right. She married General New River. And General New River was William Scott of the Saponi tribe. Wow. That is fabulous. That is just fabulous information. And I know um, you and Pony have worked closely in the past, and and I think he he has, you know, um, let us know that, you know, in the last 15 years that, yeah, hey, there's some deep connections right there in that oh, area of Sumter. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, when I first started this, um, you know, this 
this look into my history, my past, and trying to find out who I was, you know, a lot of the material I found was from Pony Hill. And, you know, I mean, without the, the published work from him, you know, I would... I would never be where I'm at as far as understanding, interpreting, you know, what it was like in that, you know, at right, that time. Right. I actually used his material and, and learned from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fabulous. And we're so lucky to have him and and we're we're gonna we're gonna do a thing in Leesville and you're gonna join us. If you're able, yeah. because your family is supposed to be moving into your beautiful new home, and yeah. um, <laughs> but we're going to try to meet again. It was a um, it was a, a conference type meeting get together that we were going to do um, this last. Um, I can't remember if it was. I can't remember because we had a very serious health issue come up in the, my family and uh, I wasn't able to make it. And so we rescheduled and I invited Paul and I hope you bring your wife, your beautiful wife. And you guys are such a dedicated couple. I, I see your pictures up on Facebook and, and some of the postings that you make. And I'm so proud of you guys. You make a beautiful I appreciate couple. That. Thank you. I'm very yeah. lucky. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'll tell you, yeah, you are, buddy. She is a charmer. She's a sweetheart because, I mean, I don't say much, but I do take notice that, that you guys have a beautiful family and uh, your wife is just so sweet and y'all are always real sweet to each other. And uh, you're going to try to join us in Louisiana at Leesville yes, in either April or May. And Scott Sewell has promised to try to come. They do have and, – and, and he was going to try to con Pony and don't tell Pony that we know. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, I'll, we'll see if we can get him to go too. Right. It would be wonderful for him to come and to speak to us and because we do have so many people among us that come from that Scott group over there um, with the Dominickers and, and Scott Sewell's group and that came on that wagon train to Louisiana. Well, both from, those gentlemen are my cousins. Exactly, exactly. So we're all, it would be a wonderful get-together uh, to bring all of these folks back together. And we have a very, the Red Bones have a very rich and tragic history right there in Leesville you know, that's where our infamous, oh, my goodness, I don't know we'll ever get over this one, but it was a, it was called the Bloody Rawhide Fight. And what basically happened was is, is we don't have a lot of um, documented um, proof or, or facts of what happened, but one can surmise from uh, what our people were going through that, uh, some of the white men came in. We built a. We had a trading post there um, called Glass Window, and a white man by the name of James Groves, who was Cheryl Tilly Perkins' grandfather, and he was the son-in-law of Thomas Gowen or Thomas Nash, who was the you know like the premier progenitor of all Red Bones. And when I say that I am related. From the red bones, you know, and I have several grandfathers that I'm repetitively descended from because we intermarried so heavily. 
but now I find out that all these grandfathers' DNA matched one another. And so my, seriously, I have software to do my genealogy. And when I try to make a report, and I'm not, I'm not just joking a little bit. When I go to make a report on my genealogy, in fact, my computer gets stuck in an endless loop five ways. And so <laughs> this, you know, this <laughs> I know, it's so hilarious. I love it. You know, I, I love all of that, even though someone else might look at that as, you know, strange or, you know, kind no, of weird. I, that's, or, well, no, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, that's exciting. awesome. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. And so um, I, I I appreciate all of these repetitive connections, and I, I get it, you know. And I wanted to scream at the treetops that people like you and Pony and all of us, we are really, this is our generation to really get things together and really pull it together and to have a venue to publish with through the back in time. Um, and I know you're going to think about writing a couple of books for us, and we really look forward to uh, anything you would decide to do and, and help in any way on your projects uh, get started because, this is an amazing research journey you have been on, and so I'm pretty darn proud of you, brother. Well, I appreciate that, and one of the projects that I am working on is I just um, signed myself up for a eight-week screenwriting course where I'm actually going to um, – Perfecting the craft of screen, uh, you know, screenwriting. At least having a story, a concept, and everything like that. So I'll have an understanding of that type of writing, and then I see myself going in a direction where I want to be able to write a couple of books. Fabulous. And maybe we can even work on the um, Kawana Parker. um, You know, and you've got so many interests. Uh, just in these mixed blood people, like you're like me, you just kind of you latching on, and you see those click, click, clicks, and um, uh, I, so I look forward to anything, and and bravo to you for going and doing, uh, you know, honing your writing skills and 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 keeping up with that, and then tell me the condition of recently, I you and I was invited to a group. Of is it chair raw um, Catawba mix that went to Ohio, and I did want you to touch lightly on that group if you know anything about them. How did they descend, and and did they take off? Because we have some cherries, some charries that ended up in East Texas, who was the head of the Baratarian men for Jean Lafitte there in Louisiana, East Texas borderland, and then. He settled at Liberty, Texas, and he had come out of the out of Ohio, and he's a very dark man. We have a picture up. We have a painting of him. But tell me about that group and how they splintered off, and or what happened in that situation. Well, um, uh, mostly of that group, 
um, they are of uh, Saponi um, ancestry, but mixed with the Catawba because around 1747 or so, uh, the Catawba actually went to New York, um, present-day Buffalo area, Albany, and it was in to discuss about a reservation for the Catawba up there with the Six Nations. But the Catawba um, had too many enemies from the north. I mean, it was known that tribes from the north would come down and, and, and challenge the Catawba, and it didn't work out because actually a chief for the Catawba, while they were up in New York, was actually killed by the Seneca. And that was um, Chief Rao. And he was killed. And that's when um, uh, King Hagler actually took over up in New York. But when they were actually urged to head north, and uh, that's another point in time that when the Catawba merged with the Saponi. So those natives mixed together as one tribe, some of them went to Ohio in the Ohio Valley area. Some of them were in New York. Some of the Saponi actually went with some of the tribes in the north, like the, the Seneca took in some of them. So they kind of splintered off a little bit even there. And we yes. might relation among the Seneca Yes, with those tribes up north, because you have the Tuscancora that are up there. You know, they were they were brought up there, but um, some of that, some of those people from that tribe are still in North Carolina, and some of the people with our names that are associated with the Red Bones are also a part of some of those tribes in in the Six Nations, just through the migration of the tribes right. being forced north. I see. Right. Yeah, I can believe it. I, I um, you know, many, many years ago, long-haired Taylor of the Moachotaw wrote to me and, and sent me, oh, hundreds of pages of, you know, where they were working to get some recognition for the Moa Choctaw, and they finally got state recognition, I believe. Um, but and he said, no, we're related. He said, no, you know, and, and we didn't know about a lot of these uh, interrelations like we talked about earlier in Wyoming and now New York and things. So a lot of the Red Bones don't understand. Um, well, and this is kind of a problem with the Red Bones because, uh, they kind of think that the red bones just sprang from the ones in Louisiana think they just sprung from the swamps of Louisiana, which is so untrue. Um, right, absolutely. Um, most of the red bones derive from the tribes from the southeast that were decimated by all the white settlement, you know, colonization and all that. But those tribes. The, the Catawba ended up in Ohio and then coming back down to their tribal lands, and that's when a lot of the treaties started taking place between, like, 
with the with the Cherokee in the Catawba, you know, where the Cherokee decided to fight for the French, you know, during the French and Indian War, and the Catawbas fought for the English. You know, this is the time where all these tribes were were torn apart and 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 decimated. There were there were homeless tribes that had nowhere to live. Right. And that's where these red bones derive from because they had nowhere, no home, and right. they 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 moved west. Yeah, as far as your well, family, like the family that moved to, because you're talking, we're talking 1747, when you were saying part of your family moved across the Catawba, down right. into Alabama. And into mm-hmm. East well, those those were the same exact times that I'm talking about. 1747 is the same time as the French and Indian War. These yeah, were some of our, some of our forefathers ahead. actually said they spoke French. Absolutely. Why? I mean, because well, you would know that the, the Louisiana Territory was French speaking, so. Yeah. That could be one of the things that attracted some of these natives in that direction. Maybe that was the language they spoke. Correct, correct, absolutely. And and also, you know, like you said, they just uh, they just in, in, as the white man encroached, they just kept moving and moving and moving. They were nearly nomadic. Yeah, they assimilated as they went. They assimilated as they went. And, uh, you know, it's it's just so fascinating. Uh, I just think it's a history that little known and that we are really standing here busting the doors open and saying, now, if you want to talk about some true Americans, here we are. Uh, uh, there's more truth to that than most people would know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But, there's the family ties of even names that you've mentioned and some names that you haven't hit on, you know, that are associated with the Shirah. Now, my my Catawbas or Saponis, they they were Scots that actually right. married Oxendines. Yeah. Now, Oxendines are associated yeah. with the Shirah. Right. With that Tell tribe. They are so interesting to me. They 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 stretch far and wide as far as you know some of the descendants. You sure. know they're they're down there in Northwest Florida. They're in Sumter. They're in they're in Lumberton. Yeah. So I, it's like almost like a going thing. <laughs> well, and we went, and this was. So ironic because my older sister bought, uh, she always owned a, a small cabin there at Toledo Bend, Texas, East Texas, Louisiana border. And uh, she, it was, they, her and her husband sold that place and they bought a, another home in Sabine, Texas. And uh, there's this little bitty, teeny tiny, well, no, it's not teeny tiny, it's huge, but there's only a few headstones left. They've just demolished that place. Um, and part of the city is underwater now because of the reservoir. But there, we went to the 
she took me to the cemetery and she said, you got to see this, you got to see this. And it was hills in that really? cemetery. And I took pictures of all the headstones. I was freaked out totally. I was like, oh, my gosh, where are these, you know, uh, but that was our territory. That's where my people were buried. Right. And I was, right. But 1826, you have the Indian Affairs Act. You have all these mixed Native Americans that are in Sumter, and they're fleeing they're looking for places to go. Well, 1826, mm-hmm. a wagon train leaves from Sumter, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. It goes to Georgia. It goes to to Florida, Northwest Florida. Now we're as they go, and they're they're actually this is they're in Crete, Muskogee territory now, and we're talking about Shiraz. Saponi, Catawba Native Americans that are are fleeing south. Yes. yes. And now they're now they're mixing with Creek and Muscogees, and they're mm-hmm. assimilating down there as far as where you can find evidence of Scott family that were with the Catawba, with the natives in Sumter. And then you have them down in Scott's Ferry operating a ferry taking people across a river in in yeah, my, in northwest you know, Florida, Georgia. Yeah. Florida was a big area at one time too, earlier than that. And and you know, this, this late migration on that Mayo one that that Mayo wagon train that um, Pony writes about quite a bit. You know that's related to that Scottstown Ferry uh, group. Yeah. When they arrived in Louisiana and came on into East Texas, my some of my grandfathers had been there since 1770, 90 through the nineties, and but they recognized each other. It's like, oh my God, these people knew each other this many years later. So there was deep, deep fam- familial ties. These people really did keep up with each other. But I saw a great, um, of course, during final removals, you see a great gap in our collective relationships. And then, again, after the Civil War, um, we see a great disconnect between the, the extended families, you know, that migrated on and some that stayed over there and some that came over here for a while and then went back. Um, but also, did not the Saponi end up in Texas as well? Oh, I, I, um, as far as some of the Scots and, and Oxendines and Chavis and, and Locklear, those names, yeah, some of them ended up going some of them ended up in East Texas. Yeah. Some of them. Uh, because Go ahead. Scott Collins is a big, Scott Collins, I think, is associated with that Saponi, and then he's from East Texas. And so he kind of makes that connection there back to the Melungeons and the Redbones and all of that. But I, I was pretty sure he was Saponi. Uh, you know, um, now, who are you asking is Saponi? Who are you asking? 
Scott Collins. Um, he, I don't know if you know him or not. He he does a lot uh, on the Goins Town, Saponi, Saponi Town. Oh yeah, you know, I, I I don't know him personally, but um, yes, uh, yes, he he is Saponi. Yes, yes, ma'am. That's what I thought. I thought that that you know that that was another group from from that Chair Ross, Saponi, Catawba mix out there that ended up in East Texas. You know, associated. He's a Collins. Um, yeah, we so have he, Collins and, and Sumter. Do you? Yes, ma'am. I, I thought so. And then that Gibbs, um, this was something really interesting. I don't know if you know anything about uh, Osceola or not. Um, I know a bit. Um, yeah. Are you are, are you referring to? Well, you William know, let me Billy. back. Right. Now, I wouldn't really want to say that I know enough about okay. that. Well, what was so curious about the connection back to Sumter was um, because Osceola's descendants who escaped in Arkansas mountains, okay, they there was like 300 fit people, like 100 and something warriors, and the rest of them were family members and women and children. They gave up at Fort they were taken to Fort uh, Moultrie. They gave up at Fort Moultrie, but they were taken to, to to Sullivan Island, okay, there at Sumter. And okay. and this is this big resistance gave up at. You know, they, they came in under a white flag. Um, you know, they were uh, – Osceola was the uh, great resistance Seminole leader. And and he matched his descendants matched the Goins and the Sweat and the Perkins and all of them. Well, there was I, I looked into an archaeological report because uh the the most visited state park in um South Carolina is is Fort Sumter or I'm yeah, Fort Sumter where he's buried and I'm sorry, at Fort Moultrie. He's buried at Fort Moultrie, or supposedly he's his headless body. They took his head, is buried there at Fort Moultrie. Um, but they wrote a, a man by the name of Thomas Gibbs, or Gibby, G-I-B-B-E-S or G-I-B-B-S, wrote a letter in the early 19, or I'm sorry, in the late 1800s, and he said, Listen, Osceola is not buried here where you say he's buried. He, my family took him back to Sumter to privateer and buried him in the Gibbs Cemetery. Well, see, um, but they didn't want to believe him. They did not believe him. They they said it was not true. Um, but, uh, however, when they were supposed to do this archaeological uh, dig, it was all kind of the report and everything was all kind of geared towards the tourism, and so I don't think they wanted to really scratch any big dents in their story, and so they didn't pay any attention to this letter. But it meant the world to me because that took us right back to Fort. That took us right back to Sumter. Yeah. Right, and. Uh, it was just a, 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 a great connection there, and, and we just we just keep getting so strong. Tell me about 
Colonel Sumter because your grandfather fought with him, and I think you know a lot of history about him. Yeah, um, he was actually um, born um, in Virginia, and um, he fought in the French and Indian War. And um, he was, uh, I guess you would consider a frontiersman as far as um, he moved his home to um, South Carolina, which was at that time the frontier. Right. And um, he actually um, was the general that was in charge of um, of a, a regiment of Catawba foot rovers or foot rangers during the Revolutionary War. Um, He made his home in the High Hills, Santee area, which is Sumter, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, When he fought in the Revolution, it was, um, he fought in um, Hanging Rock, the Battle of Hanging Rock, with these Catawbas, and that that included my grandfather, who was chief of the Catawba at the time, General New River. Right. He fought alongside uh, Thomas Sumter in the Battle of Camden. Now, most of the battles during the Revolutionary War that took place in the South were more towards the 1780s, um, you know, 1782, the tail end of uh, the Revolutionary War. But um, not only did General New River fight with the Catawbas, there were there were PDs, there were Shara that fought with Francis Marion, and you right. had Catawbas with General Thomas Sumter. Um, not only did you have General New River, you had General Jacob Scott, you had John Scott, you had Billy Scott, you had uh, Philip Harris. You know, these these are all the names that are associated with the Catawba or or the the tribes in the southeast. Mm-hmm. Now these these those Indians fought with General Thomas Sumter, but James Scott, who is also uh, I'm a descendant of He was gifted 24 acres of land On General Thomas Sumter's Plantation That he had bought for his daughter And I want to say the name of the resi- or, I'm sorry the, the plantation was uh, Edge Hill And it was uh-huh. A plantation that was actually Um he confiscated during the uh, Revolutionary War from a uh, a family that was uh, loyalist to the King of England. But he gave 24 acres of that land to uh, my grandfather, James Scott, and he lived there in the Santee area and what they were, they called the area Statesburg. And uh, General Thomas Sumter um, lived there. He was trying to make that area, Sumter, South Carolina, the capital. Was his, that was his intention because he actually became a statesman 
for the I South uh, for South Carolina after the Revolutionary War. Now, see, I have Thomas Nash, who came out of Chowan, North Carolina. He, I found some deeds on him on the Santee, seventeen ninety to like eighteen hundred, somewhere in there. Um, I didn't know if they were associated. I have to go back and look, but I don't know if they were associated with the Revolutionary War or not. Um, but of course, you know, his father or grandfather, John Nash, was the traitor among the Catawbas, you know, in the Nottaway, and as well, the Nottaway ended up in Louisiana, or a great portion of them ended up in Louisiana as slaves from Virginia. And, um, we kind of lived around them, and we, I kind of have some weird history with a plantation called Nottaway Plantation there in Louisiana, um, but I, uh, that's another, I, I, that's another story. But, um, yeah. yeah, but but tell me, do you would you like to talk to me about the Turks that supposedly came with Sumter? Okay. Or do you, okay, yeah, tell me about that. Do you know anything? Well, um, the term Turk that's associated with Sumter is actually because of one individual. As okay. far as um, ethnicity, as to where the origin of, um, of, of this person came from. The people in Sumter are actually an Arab Native American mix, more so Native American than 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 an Arab. I love you so much, Paul Dutilly Junior. <laughs> you just <laughs> Well, and I'll tell you why what you say is so true. And it may be more than one man, okay? Because yes. The DNA is absolutely proving every single day that there was a great bulk majority input of men, male lines, who were of Berber, Moorish, Turkish type, Ottoman Empire type ancestors. Oh, yes. The only, the only Arab that I have actually been able to pinpoint and 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 put in Sumter and only Sumter other than being in another country is uh Joseph Bennett Haley. Gotcha. gotcha. Um now he his origins are from that region, from the Ottoman Empire. Right. Yeah, well, you know, this North African, this Egyptian thing, see, is another, could be, you know, of course, that's Arab, you know, it's considered Arab. And um, even though it's North Africa, it's that Mediterranean rim, you know. Um, And even like the Goings, G-O-I-N-G-S, line that ended up in Louisiana, and we thought we were the same line, but we found out that this woman was married to two Goings. Um, One was of 
you know, Egyptian haplogroup, and the other one was the, of the Gypsy Irish haplogroup. This woman was married right. to two, obviously, you know, these two men, because our line were mentioned in wills and were not mentioned in heirs. And so it's kind of like it was to separate all of these boys and these children out from these stepchildren uh, because their DNA did not match. Uh, right. But, and the thing. And you're right about that because now, see, if you have to think past, you got to think to first contact because we've been able to establish that there were voyagers that came to this to this land before documented history is actually rent, written. And mm-hmm. and the thing about it is, is you have to believe that not all those men were from one region. They're, they were from all from different areas, you know. And that automated, that automated so when you say that, yeah, there, you know, I, I said that there may have been one man. You're right. There possibly, there could have been more. Yeah, I think so. And and what I was going to say is on that Irish haplo that was the, you know, equivalent of a gypsy, Irish gypsy from India. Now, see, his closest genetic match was um, a Palestinian. Yeah. See, and so even though he had an English-Irish origin, his closest genetic match in the world was a, an Arab. You know, so right. right. So it's taking a little bit of detective work, but I think we're going to find. You know, you've established the Ben and Haley line, and what was the other line? You think was uh, as Arab far as well, no. As far as you know, me being able to prove a different origin, it would be mm-hmm. Ben and Haley. But mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not going to argue with you. And saying that some of the heads of families that were intermixed with these Native Americans were not from, you know, some region in 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 the Middle East or or Europe or right. you know, right? Because proof proof is already it, there's already been proof in that. Yeah, in that regard, there is, uh, and I think you said the oxidine. What were did you know what their origin was? Oxendine is associated with the Shirah, but they also show up on a list of adventurers that may have landed here in 1535. Fantastic, because you know the Red Bones, when asked out of Privateer Township, Sumter, South Carolina, when pressed, uh, for an answer of who they were, they said, we are Portuguese adventurers. Yes. <laughs> and there you know. is actually evidence of um, of some of the native mixes in the Sumter area that were able to prove that they were of Native American Portuguese descent to avoid slavery. Yes, 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 and that that was something we dealt with quite a bit, and a lot of people don't understand that either. Um, 
anything darker than a brown paper bag was going to get a, a label on their forehead. And, um, yeah, and even to the extent of laws changed in North and South Carolina to in Virginia to say, hey, if you're a free person of color, you must leave this state on pain of being sold into slavery. Absolutely, because I have documentation of my uncle, Michael Oxendine, who was the son of James Scott, Catawba Indian, and, um, excuse me, actually it was James Scott's grandson, but he was the, uh, Michael Oxendine was the son of Aaron Oxendine and Jane Scott of the Catawba Indians. Aaron Oxendine was associated with the Shara Native Americans, and his father was Charles D. Oxendine that actually had a land deed with the country of England on the Lumber River in present-day wow. Ropes. Wow. So Michael actually had to explain to the state of North Carolina as to who he was because I'm not sure if the letters, he had to go to court because it's saying that it's either to fight in the Civil War or to avoid slavery. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But you can, in the letter, you can make out that it says that Michael Oxendine is of European and Indian blood. And it's documented through the courts. That's fabulous. But that shows that, you know, some of our ancestors actually had to, you know, prove that they weren't of African descent or, you know, something that was acceptable enough that they could live some kind of normal life. Well, sure, and just like Jock Perkins' son, Nathan, um, suing his neighbors for calling them the N-word. And he took to court, and he brought in, you know, this was in the lost state of Franklin, okay, because these guys settled the lost state of Franklin because they wanted to start their own state, because they weren't free in the colonies. And at first, North Carolina said, sure, go ahead. We don't care what you do. And they bought the land from the Overhill Cherokee. And you and I have been just touching on this recently. Um, You know, today, you know, I kind of realized you knew what the state law state of Franklin was. And I was like, hey, wait, that's our grandpa's. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait. That actually is um, something that I've, I've been looking into like within the last week, um, fascinated by it, absolutely fascinated by the state of Franklin and, then, and, and what the initial thought and purpose. It was to of, set up the free It's called It was called the free It was basically like the free state of Jones, the movie that came out. I mean, yes. um, they did do that, and these were these guys had initiated all of that. Uh, many centuries before that group, uh, these guys had fought in the Revolutionary War, and they were not free. 
and they said, we're getting the heck out of Dodge, and we're going to start our own state, and they did, and we do have some records from up around um, where the Melungeons always meet there at Johnson City. Yeah. of the lost state of Franklin, you know, they know they're associated with those guys on there, you know, and uh, Perkins, his son sued for, um, you know, and, and they brought in droves of witnesses that said, okay, here is um, what Jock told me or, or Joshua Perkins. He told, because by that time he had passed away, um, he told me, you know, he was a Guinea privilege, okay, which is a Portuguese settlement. Guinea is a Portuguese settlement. And so you make these, keep making these full circles to these um, fascinatingly mixed people. Um, do you have, do you know anything about, or are there any Basque family listed among that Jared Raw group or any of them? The name, the name Bass. Bass, B-A-S-S. Oh, y- yes, ma'am. Yes, okay. ma'am. Not, just... not present day. Not present day, uh, but um, they they were definitely in Sumter, South Carolina. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Okay, good. I wasn't sure. Um, I'll, I will have to check up on those now because uh, I didn't know for sure. Uh, but they're a big progenating family among us. And the cloud, C-L-O-U-D, um, I didn't know if there was because we see some of those we see one of those waters uh, waters and the cloud family that settled in um, the lost state of Franklin. You know they kind of come out of the Carolina Virginia mix and they show up up there. You know um, now I want to talk to you about also pick your brain a little bit. Uh, we only have about fifteen minutes left on the show, but I would like to pick your brain a little bit about. That Ohio group, um, their relationship uh, to the Chickamauga, and now I don't know that I'm pronouncing that right. I could be all wrong on that. Correct me. You're probably doing just as well as I would have done, so. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me what you know about them, because you're the first person who has agreed with me that I certainly thought that this, Corn silks people that that left and went into Ohio, uh, you know, had because if you look at an old map, and I'm going to send you a map that I presented years ago on a migration thing, because you know that was my big study was migration patterns. Uh, yeah. So that first love is maps and migration, and uh, so me too. Uh, I love maps. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that is certainly the way to go. And I did say earlier on this show, I said how important the maps were because uh, people don't understand the development of North America and the different territories and the different colonies and the different people that were actually um you know, one area today is Georgia, but at one time that was all South Carolina. At one time it was all Florida. At one time it was, you know, um, yeah. you've got to learn that. You have to learn that to understand our people. Um, because yeah. they'll say, yeah, they'll say, oh, that's not my family because my family was in Tennessee and those people were in Georgia. Well, 
at one time that was Tennessee, honey. You know, I hate to right, write yeah. you. So, I mean, and you're absolutely correct about that because most people, they can't, even if they, they are able to grasp the 13 colonies, they're not able to get past that, right. you know, earlier than that. Well, and they, they breach in light because this state border exists now. Right. That And they speak English here and French here that, oh, no, that can't be them because they spoke French. I'm like, gee, many Christmas. There was no. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I I get a little frustrated with it, and I talk about it because it is so important. And I know you have a, a, a really good grasp on that, and I appreciate that because – um, somebody, you know, even seasoned researchers will say to me, well, I thought your people were just in Calcasieu, Louisiana. I'm like, hello, Calcasieu, yeah. Louisiana, part of Mexico at one time. Well, actually, it was it was part of Spain. It was part of France later on, and then it was back in Spain, and then it was back to France. And it really and truly the governing body of the Louisiana Territory at the time of the Louisiana Purchase was Spaniard. To be truthful, they actually, uh, they just, uh, France took it back from Spain because they had won it in a European battle against each other, you know, the big colonies trying to fight each well, other for some everything. Of the, some of the ships that brought people over from to, to Jamestown were Portuguese sailing vessels. Absolutely. And so, so they I were mean, bringing... It, yeah. You were indentured people, but not necessarily slaves. Right. This is... This is the only way possible that some of our forefathers, being the ethnic or the ethnic origin of their their color of skin, was 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 not. They did not come as slaves. They came as like indentured. You um, you are. A, they couldn't enslave a Christian. And so the Portuguese would immediately Christianize the mixes of people. The yeah. colors, you know, of the of the colonies, and then they brought them here. And even though they might have been black, they still were not a slave because they no. were Christianized prior to this. And so right. people have a kind of hard time understanding that these Portuguese. Um, there's a great book by um, it's called Portuguese: The Making of America, and um, I'll think of it, Emmanuel. Um, Manuel Mira wrote that book, and it is a fabulous book because he goes through every one of these Portuguese colonies, and he talks about who those people were. And, yeah, uh, you know, you, know they, and you have to have an open mind, and and a lot if you if you if you open your mind and you actually read and and think about it, a lot of it makes sense. Absolutely, and like we. I don't know quickly on the story of these Turks that supposedly how many of them, there's some documentation somewhere that says there was a certain amount of Turkish men that were brought by Sumter, but then I've heard other researchers say that was not true. And so I'm, I don't know if it is or not. I'm, I'm just asking. Well, I know that there was up to about 300 Ottoman mercenaries that fought with the Americans 
on, on the Burberry Coast in North Africa, 1801 to 1805. Um, wow. Most of those mercenaries didn't receive any kind of compensation. Um, there's no kind of documentation or anything like that. But some did, and some did come back to the United States with General O'Bannon, who was in charge, in command in North Africa. Wow. That and is he awesome. was he was friends with General Thomas Sumter. Right. And I have a land deed with Joseph Ben and Haley who shows up on the census in Sumter, South Carolina in eighteen ten. There's other there's other uh, things that ha- that he may have been there a little bit sooner, but no earlier than 1805 to 1810. Right. I see. And, and that's uh, so 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 what that is is that's him coming back to the United States in 1805, and then he's showing up on the census in Sumter, and that's how. <laughs> those people in Sumter are associated with the Turks because they're not really sure if he was actually a Turk from Turkey or if he was Egyptian, but it points more towards Egyptian North African. Yeah, North Africa, I think so too, Uh, which is a Berber mixture, you know, a Moorish Berber mixture. Um, Absolutely, Ottoman Empire, as you suggested all along, uh, that this a great majority of these people are showing a a Berber, Moorish, you know, uh, Barbary Coast type admixture. Just fascinating, man. And then if you have the Portuguese that may have came even earlier than that, you're dealing with the same kind of DNA because the 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 Portuguese and the North Africa were constantly in in conflict um, prior to uh, the the Berbery Wars. Uh, Morocco and 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 Portugal were at war. Right. And what was so, the first I mean, thing that they, just, they conquered somebody? They they slaughtered the men and married with the women, right? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, you have to think that way, but yes. It's true. I mean, what does the word colonize mean? Col- the word colonize, the original definition of colonize, means to invade an indigenous population and mix with them and make yes. a different hybrid movement. Yes. Colonize and Christianize, you know, uh, was the name of the game. And so uh, why these admixtures, I guess, is um, so surprising is more of a nature of denial over the years that we exist. And and that's more of the uh, more of the oddity of all of it, you know, is that we are substantiating the historical claims of our people. Exactly. I mean, what better, what better um, thing to do? I mean, for our own personal 
identity is to identify with not just Native American, not just a Turkish or Moorish or a black African or a white or whatever, is to embrace all of these things. And I'm so proud of you, Paul, because I feel like, you know, you're another one of our kindred, that you're really embracing all of this history and taking it in, and and you're working so hard to expose um, these original families of mixed blood people who are Indian, Native American identified, um, you know, because they mixed in and, and this is the bulk majority of our culture that's left. And so I sure appreciate you, man. Well, I appreciate you inviting me on this show. Um, uh, absolutely. They're, our history is fascinating. It should be shared with everyone. Absolutely. And I, I look forward to all of your coming projects. And we're going to have to have you back whenever you have a, uh, um, an opportunity to get your DNA back and kind of, you know, absorb all of that. And because I think it's going to be so exciting to see your results. And um, I, I really appreciate you, brother, for sh- you know coming and and sharing with us today. Um, now the the audio will shut off in about four minutes, but. Our show continues until we get done, and they can just hear the tail end of it, you know, at the, at a re-listen. Um, they can listen to this show archived and any of our episodes at uh, Blog Talk Radio at backintime.biz. And I thank you so much. Give us any summary or, you know, last few minutes of your thoughts on which direction that you feel that is the most important for us to move towards um is it a native uh, native american um you know uh, direction of research uh or, or how do you feel about what's what's most important to us to research you know and continue doing well i think one of the most important things is to have an open mind and know your history if if that is something that interests you and that is important to you, you have to put yourself all the way in, and you have to have an open mind. You can't think that you have all the answers because you don't. You have to you have to approach it with with the aspect of understanding every every single you know formulation of 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 how we exist you know how our peoples came to be known as redbone how we you have to understand all of it yeah you really have to take it all in and you have to i'm still learning every day I, I've been on the trail of these red bones and my identity, my personal identity. I, I identify as a white because that's what I was raised to be. But I, like along with the others, you know, always knew there was a mysterious background there. And so well, I, I identify as Native American. Um, I, you know, I've, I can't live my life as a white person. I've never been able to do that. Um you know, I um it is what it is. You know, I know that my 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 history goes way back. It's tied to Native American tribes 
you know, um, it, it's it's a fascinating, fascinating thing. You know, you have to. You're never going to know all the answers, but to be able to learn something so important to the birth of this nation, you know, and in, in, in your family, being able to put your family as part of that, that's that's pretty cool stuff. It certainly is. It certainly is, or, or I believe so. And and um, uh, we're going to keep it alive, and we're going to keep it going uh, from here on out until the day we're gone. And hopefully it will carry on and we can establish a a good base for other people to other descendants and and the future people to look back and say, hey, these and Stacy Webb and Pony Hill and Scott Sewell and Lorraine Brown and people, all of these descendants took a stand in this generation and said, hey, man, we're coming back together. And uh, we are the fabric of this nation. And we are the ones that that blaze the trails for the white people to come, and uh, we absolutely are going to embrace all of our heritage. And I sure love you, and I wish everyone out there a happy new year. And you too, Paul. I know you have a lot to celebrate this year, and uh, so we and we look forward to the Leesville. If you're able to come, we we certainly would just uh, love to hear you speak and talk to us and elaborate uh, with other Red Bones you know, and, and connecting our families back together. Well, I thank you very much. Uh, happy New Year to you and you and your family. Um, thank you very much for including me on this. And, uh, of course, we're going to keep in touch. Um, I am going to share that information with you as far as the DNA, and we can talk about that. Um, I love you. You're great to me. You. Uh, you always have been. and. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Enjoyed having it. We're going to have you back soon. Wishing everybody a happy new year. And uh, everybody take care. See you in the next episode.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.